We are going through our uh, sermon series in the book of Proverbs. It's an interesting book. It is not a narrative or historical book. It really is a book that is a collection of wisdom that can be categorized as you read through the entire thing. So we're really going through the book in a series of themes within the theme, instructions for your life, which really is what the Proverbs offer us. Here is wisdom and guidance and instruction for the way that you can live your life according to God's perfect design. And we've been looking at all of the different ways that wisdom calls us to live by God's design. Last week we looked at the call to live in the truth of God's design. And this week we're going to look in a very specific way uh, of something that is a theme of the Bible and yet it is sometimes a forgotten theme or a lower priority than many of the other ways that we look for the Bible to instruct us. In fact, as we think about instructions for life, things to live your life by that will bless you, that will make your world and the world that God calls you to a better place, there are so many proverb themes that you can think of that we hope to cover. Uh, I, I just went through some of them. As you, as you think about the problem of the world, what could Proverbs help you with? And Proverbs speak to some of the problems that are just right here in our face. So it's like the breakdown of the family structure. And there's all sorts of wisdom for that that we can look at. We're going to talk about that as we go. Um, how about the political tension that we live in? There are Proverbs for that on how to honor the king and live in his kingdom. Uh, unhealthy appetites. That's one of the problems of the world. I, uh, as you know, I just got back from vacation, and I'm looking to the Proverbs for instructions on how to correct unhealthy appetites. And, and that's certainly something that we could look to and say, thank you, God, for your wisdom on how to live with all of our unhealthy appetites curbed to a better life. Uh, greed and exploitation, an imbalanced scales, and the way that we can be dishonoring with money. That's a problem of the world that all of us have to live with the results of that going awry. Uh, sexual perversion. We just came out of the month of June. That's a problem in our world. And yet in all of those, as we survey the world and we look for God's word to give us truth, to live by, for answers, to bless us, there is one that is a major problem in the world that we live in that affects your everyday life, and yet it is sometimes the last thing we think about. And that is what we just sang. And that is the topic of friendship how to be, how to receive, and how to live in what the Bible calls a friendship with God and others. An incredible topic that will bless your life that the book of Proverbs, as you read it with this lens in mind, is full of wisdom about. So many things about the Proverbs are teaching you how to be a God-honoring friend and yet, when you think about what's wrong with our world, friendship is sometimes the last thing we think about. Maybe one of the reasons is so many feel like we have friends. You look at your friend count on the internet, and you've got thousands of friends, and yet you don't know any of them. And what we do today is an exercise in knowing God as a friend and knowing one another as friends. And so today, we are going to talk about what the Bible gives us wisdom and instruction for life in the category of friendship. Welcome to uh, one of the lesser uh, preached upon topics in the Bible. It will not show up on a major holiday. There's not a lot of movies or pop songs about how awesome friends are. And yet, if you receive this, and it really is something that you grasp and live by, 
The Bible says this is a key to how to have a blessed life, is how to be a friend. So we start in Proverbs chapter 27. There will be a lot of Proverbs that we survey in the category of friendship, but chapter 27 is full of wise sayings about how to be a friend or, or the benefits of friendship. And so we start in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, just to set the table. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friends. So the picture is a blacksmith picture, probably over the head of many of us today, unless you've spent time on YouTube, watching the art of sharpening a piece of iron or molding a piece of metal. But oftentimes it's metal on metal that will shape it. And so it is in the design of humans. God wants to shape your life, design your life, bring a blessing into your life, not simply by knowing him personally, which is one of the major ways he does that, but also by bringing people into your life that can sharpen you and bless you. And you would have the same effect in their life. And that's why this Proverbs puts all of this into the category of friendship. This is what friendship is supposed to offer you. The, the way that your life will be molded into the design of God, like a blacksmith molds a piece of iron into the design he seeks, is your design by God through friendship. And so we're going to look at the survey of Proverbs in four different ways that it covers how important it is for us to receive these wise sayings about friendship. First, we'll look at the beauty of friendship. What makes friendship so beautiful? And it is a different kind of relationship than husband and wife or father and son, mother, daughter. Friendship is a unique beauty to it, as we'll see as we look at a few of these Proverbs. Then we'll look at the beginning of the friendship. A uh, million dollar question in our time, how do you actually make friends? What is something that you can do in pursuit of friendship that will take someone from maybe you know them or they're an acquaintance or you shook their hand at a meet and greet recently? And now you actually have become friends. So we'll look at the beginning of friendship. And then we'll really focus on the benefit of friendship. Why is it that we would spend an entire Sunday talking about a relationship that is so specific as a friend? Uh, because the Bible talks about all the ways that it is actually part of God's design for you to be blessed. And then finally, we'll talk about your very best friend. And so I actually did a meet and greet right over here. And we're like besties. And so you have maybe someone in mind that is your picture of friendship. So we have, the, we have the beauty of friendship, the beginning of friendship, the benefits, and then the best friend that you can possibly have. So let's look at the beauty of friendship. What makes friendship so beautiful? Uh, this one stood out to me because it speaks both to friendship and brotherhood, which I'm a part of. It says in Proverbs chapter 8, Verse 24, and we'll put it on the screen so you don't have to scan, but you're welcome to. It says, a man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. What is this getting at? It means that you can have a relationship in your life between you and a friend that is more intimate and more long-lasting than family which is the base of all guaranteed relationships by God. He gives every one of us a family, for better or worse. And the Bible says there's actually a possibility that a relationship could go beyond family. Now, that's worth listening to now because we all have reference points of very faithful people in our life that were because of our DNA. 
but it's especially important to listen to in this time when family and patriarchy and your tribe was the most elevated relationship that you could think of. The, the, the proverb writer comes in and says, but there's someone even more committed to your life than a brother. Why is that? It says in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17, maybe the beginning of this answer. It says, a friend loves at all time, but a brother is born for adversity. This is getting to something. A friend, a true friend in your life, is with you always. Family is with you when stuff gets hard. And you know that. If you go through the funeral, what comes around you is the family. You may not have seen that family member for 10 years, but when things get really hard in your life, God gives you DNA family to say, we are in this together for better or worse. Or uh, if you're my sister reading this, you could say, a brother's born for adversity. They're meant to just annoy you all the time and bring adversity into your life. I actually was swimming with my sister yesterday, and she says, I think this is the first time we've hung out in a pool where you have not tried to specifically get me wet. And so I took that as a challenge. (laughs) Your family has to be there for you. Your friend gets to choose to be there for you. Your friend is someone that is there regardless of good times or bad. In other words, your family loves you. Your friends actually like you. (laughs) Here's how one commentator puts it. He says, friendship is not a biological necessity. It is the only love, because love does exist between friends, that is absolutely deliberate. It will not push itself upon you. Friendship is beautiful because friendship is this choice to love you or or to be in a loving relationship that has nothing to do with any other biological necessity. Your family is biologically, there is a necessity to keep the kin strong that God designs in the tribe. And the romantic love, there's a necessity, there's an urge to be romantically in love. The, the mother-to-child love, there is a necessity, a biology to it that requires you to lay down your life for your children. And yet, for the people in your life that have become friends that are there for you at all times, there is a beauty in it because they have chosen you amongst everyone else. And God wants that picture to be rich in our mind, not just through imagery, but through our relationship so that we can understand his love better for us. It is a deliberate, non-biological love that we find in friendship. So there is beauty in the choice in the matter. And now we talk about the beginning of friendship. How do you answer that million-dollar question? I think it's an important question even for the city that we live in. As you go through the list of things you're looking for in a new city, a new place, a new church, if you're with us. It's like I got to find a neighborhood and a job and then very quickly that you will learn if you're really going to belong somewhere. If you're going to belong in a city or a neighborhood or in a church, the difference between you visiting and being a transit passerbyer and you having some roots is the relationships that you have made while you're there. In fact, for those of you who call this church family home, I would venture to offer you the the idea that you are here specifically by God's design and you stay here primarily, not because the the teaching and the power of the word of God, we hope that's true, 
but you can find good teaching anywhere. And, and the internet's full of better teachers than I am. The music, I hope, is rich and full of an invitation to the presence of God requirement for you to call a church family home. But what is absolutely necessary for you to belong somewhere is for you to know that week by week and moment by moment and season by season, you are growing with someone in your life that is also part of that community. That is the difference. That's why people choose to be anywhere is where God has planted them, where they can be in relationship with people. It's a million dollar question. How do you make a friend? So for those of you who have friends, you can practice these things in making better friends. And for those of you who are in that season of, hey, how do I find my footing? Here are some practical wisdoms and instructions for your life. Proverbs 18, verse 24. Again, we'll put it up for you. We already read it. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. A beautiful concept. It is, in some sense, the concept of reaping what you sow. And the proverb says, which is, is just patently true of the way that you have made friends, um, to be a friend or to make a friend, you have to be a friend. Friendship is a mutual venture. And you have to be willing to, to believe in friendship. You have to be willing to believe in a relationship that is a benefit for you to have with someone else. You have to be friendly. Uh, and maybe we speak a little vision, and I never want, I never want the, the tiny little meet and greet to, to have too much theology packed into it because uh, I want all of you to come to church. And if you need to just sit through that and, and be alone during that time, by all means. No, you don't have to come to church and learn how to be an extrovert. But the tiny theology in that is... We want to model, practice, and exercise friendliness with one another. We want every person in this sanctuary to come with an exercise in the theology that friendship is a, is a key to your life, and friendship begins with an effort of friendliness. And so the beginning of friendship is you yourself learning and accepting the call of God to be kind and I almost wanted to go through, as we often do with other relationships coming together, specifically in marriage, and read the manifesto on great relationship habits in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And it, it inserts all of the ways that love is a verb and acts. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is long-suffering. Um, you could also insert friendliness is all of those things. It is just good to act out love. And if you do that, you know what people will think about you? They'll think you're friendly. <laughs> They'll think you are an outgoing and kind person. And I am I'm grateful that because of the grace of God in our city, we are still a city that is known in a lot of ways as a friendly city. Uh, may that be a reputation of the church. May the church and the people of God in our city have a reputation of friendliness. And you know what will happen? We will make friends. And when, when the pastor says or the flyer says or the, the Holy Spirit hopefully says, you know, you should really send this message to a friend or you should invite a friend to church, you will actually have people in your life that you have exercised friendliness with that that would apply to. So Proverbs says one of the ways to make friends is to be a friendly person. It goes on to say this, and I think this is a really important aspect of also some of the ways that the church does what it does. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 9. Here's some more essence of the beginning of friendship. It says, 
Ointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. There's a relationship that is forming that is then likened to something. This is Hebrew poetry. It's paralleling friendship to something else. And what does it parallel to? It says, ointment and perfume delight the heart. Now, here's the interesting thing. And, and like all Proverbs, it takes time to think about what it's getting at. They are enigmas or riddles that you have to kind of unpack in your mind. So feel free to do that with all of the Proverbs as we go through them. I've had a little more time to do that. And here's something that stands out to me. The word delight and sweetness, which is the parallel of the two. There is a delight that is found in a sweet-smelling aroma that is a joy to the heart that can be likened to friendship and the sweetness that it offers. And what is delight other than a common interest? There is, if there is a sweet-smelling aroma, when we walk into the room, we both get to enjoy it. It is something other than us that, in, that, that lightens the heart with delight. And this is a key to friendship that makes it, again, different than other relationships. There is a common delight amongst friends. There is something more than just friendship itself. There is something that your friendship actually stands on. And this concept comes maybe best through the C.S. Lewis essay on friendship that expounds the four loves. And this is a beautiful concept for when you think about your beginning of friendship with someone or how you make friendship. He says, friendship is born at the moment one person says to another, wait, you too? I thought I was the only one. You were the only one who loved this specific show or book or hobby or interest. And then you find someone who sees the same delight that you see. And you say, I love it too. And you love it. And we can love it together. And Lewis says, this is different than the romantic love. Romantic love, how does romantic love start? Just look at, you know, the, you know, I hate to say it, but the junior hires as they're learning how to be goggly-eyed. Romantic love start by saying, I like you. And the other person says, I like you too. And then the, the poetry is all about liking each other. And then they just stare at each other and still like me. Yep, I still like you too. <laughs> we like each other. Let's tell everyone we like each other. We like each other. That's romantic. The beginning of romantic love is when you like someone else and they like you back. And Lewis says, romantic love stares face to face. Friends stand shoulder to shoulder. They're going somewhere together. And so this is, this is where the Proverbs have to expound upon your life. In other words, you have to be friendly. And you also have to be someone who has interest in your life. If your interest is to make friends, you'll never make them. You'll be the most annoying person ever. Are we friends yet? Are we still friends? I see you're friends with other people. Does that mean we're not friends? Friendship has to go somewhere together. So Lewis goes on to say this. The very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. Where the truthful answer to the question, do you see the same truth, would be, I see nothing and I don't care about truth. I just want to be friends. No friendship can arise. There would be nothing for the friendship to be about. And friendship must be about something, even if it's an enthusiasm for dominoes or mice. Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. You must be friendly, and your life must have a direction. Your life must be pointed in a certain way. 
And once again, we view the entire category of friendship as a better way for us to understand who God designed us to be. In friendship, you expose yourself to the reality of where your life is going, and your friends follow, and you follow them. And so if you think about the beginning of friendship, you also better think about what it is your life is pointed to, because that will point you to your friends. And I think the benefit of friendship, and we'll look at four. Of course, the, the, the Bible is a survey in so many ways about the relationship that God calls us to in friendship. So this is not an exhaustive list, but there are great blessings to receive the invitation of biblical friendship today and say, this is the fruit that you will bear. This is what a friend will bring into your life that will be different than the romantic relationships or the parental relationships or the acquaintances of your life. And so we look again at Proverbs chapter 17, a friend loves at all times. In friendship, you are given the reflection of God's love that is absolutely constant. In other words, the idea of a fair weather friend or a friend that is only around when they need something from you or only around when things are great is no friend at all. This does not mean, when it says a friend loves at all times, this does not mean we are going back in time to when friendship meant that you talked on the phone all the time, every single day, and you took every class together in school, and you rode the bus together, and you joined the same sports team, and the initial wave of friendship really did measure itself by doing every single thing together always. That is not biblical friendship. And I, and I preface that, or I qualify that, with a warning from the Proverbs, lest we think that a friend loves at all times, and now we just need to saturate ourselves with one or two people. Listen to this in Proverbs chapter 25. Seldom set, <laughs> seldom set foot in your neighbor's house, lest he become weary of you and hate you. So let's keep that in mind as we blow up the few people in our life that we could see constant love from and say, you know, I'm going to need to hear from you every day. The Proverbs also give us beautiful wisdom about not wearing each other out. Growing up in the 90s, I thought of that neighbor, Steve Urkel, who would just come in in every episode and annoy the entire family. And I'm like, okay, thank you, Proverbs. May none of us be the kind of friends that actually chase friends away. You can only take so much of people. At all times means through thick and thin, through good times and through bad, the, the same vows that we can go through in 1 Corinthians 13 between a man and woman. You have a few intimate people with you in your life that God wants to journey with in the good and the bad, in a covenant-type relationship called friendship. So you have constant love. The second benefit of friendship is that you also have someone in your life that can give you timely comfort, meaning they know you and they get you. They, they, they have spent enough time with you and you guys have exchanged enough life together that you have someone in your life that is able to understand what you need when you need it, which is also very important according to the Proverbs. Look what the Proverbs say about the opposite of this. He who blesses his friend with a loud voice rising early in the morning, it will be counted to him a curse. Uh, in other words, a friend knows how and when to bless you. It is not friendly to burst open the door and just start singing 
This is the day that the Lord has made. So parents, some of you need to repent of that from this proverb. Uh, I, I, certainly, we can go back to a brother being born for adversity, uh, just rising early and doing everything with a joyful spirit. And the sister that I grew up with was not a morning person. So uh, I didn't care about that. It's like, hey, I'm happy. You got to be happy. A friend will know when you're sad. And a friend will actually, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through this thing called compassion, will join you in your sadness. A friend will know when you are tired and will know how to support you in your tiredness, and they will know the timing of the comfort that they bring. Uh, I've heard it once said that a parent, and I, and I feel this, a parent can only be as happy as their most lonely or sad child. So if you're a parent and your child is sad, good luck enjoying your day. If you're a parent and your child is sick, good luck just moving on with your day. You have to go right down to their level. And that is a biological and God-given duty of a parent. And what can be said of the timely comfort of a friend is a friend knows how to do this and they do it deliberately. And they do it because they long for you to be comforted. The friend is the person in your life that can only be as happy as you are sad and they do it because God has called them to stick with you through thick and thin. A friend loves at all times, and a friend knows how to comfort you in the perfect way. And biblical friendship, just like all things biblical, bring the perfect balance to the way any pendulum could swing one, too far in one direction. Friendship is not all about comforting someone either. Friendship also, as a benefit of the friendship, is also the person in your life that can speak into your life in uncomfortable ways. So not only does it bring timely comfort, but it also brings those truthful conversations. Look what it says in Proverbs chapter 27, verses 5 and 6. Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Now here we have again a riddle in the form of a proverb. We have two things that seem paradoxical, wounds from friends and kisses from enemies. But what is the proverb saying? The friend is someone who can actually, in a way, bring that hard and sometimes painful truth, and it's a faithful wound. It's something that may open up your heart to, to a correction or even some healing that has to sometimes hurt. And God brings friends into your life because sometimes, have you ever noticed, you don't necessarily want to listen to your parents? And sometimes your brother or your sister or even your own spouse, you're so close intimately with them that it is hard to listen to their counsel. And so God brings the relationships of friends to say, I am going to be in the person in your life who will walk through the truth even when it hurts. And this is why we have a desperate need for friends. Because the truth will at times hurt us. There, when we are being called into repentance and into areas of correction, sometimes God's truth comes into our hearts like a medicine or a surgery. And we need someone to not only deliver it, but to be there with us while we go through the healing process of truth. And then it says that the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. When, when love, you can say it's hidden love is concealed. 
I'm, I, I would rather, I love this person so much that I can't even say. I don't want to tell them what's, what their actions are really doing in, in regards to their marriage or in regards to their parenting. I, I don't want to really tell them what it's like and the effects that are going to be long-term from the decisions they're making because I love them, so I'm just going to hide all of the rebuke. That is actually not loving the friend. You know who you're loving in that situation? You're loving yourself. You're, you're saying, I don't want to walk through the wounds. I don't want to go down the road of truth in love that is going to open up a can of tears. So in the name of love, I am going to hide all of those things and conceal those things. And you're actually saying, I'm not the kind of person who wants to walk through difficult things with people. And if you want someone to flatter you, enemies can do that. Judas can give the kiss of an enemy, and friends can flatter other people. Flattery is a dime of dozen. You do not need friends to give you the flattering kiss. It is deceitful. You actually need friends in your life. You need people in your life that are willing to tell you the truth and say, I will love you at all times. And finally, as this grows into the truth in love, it also turns into what all of us need, in every way that we can get it, the wisdom from above that comes through the reading of the word and the preaching of the word and the wise counsel of friends. We have trustworthy counsel, Proverbs chapter 27, verses nine, verse 9, which we already read. Ointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friends gives what? Delight by counsel. If you are someone who does not need counsel in your life, then you are someone who has not fully understood the complexity of the life that you live in. Life is full of mystery and questions and decisions. And the word is full of, through the book of Proverbs and the Proverbs writings in the New Testament, James, you're going to need wisdom. Make sure that you ask. And when you ask for wisdom, make sure that you're aware of all the ways that God will deliver it to you. And one of the ways it says is that you will have delight by the counsel of the friends that God gives you. It goes on to say, Proverbs 13, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. You know, we, we, we are such an individual culture. We can tend to be individual Christians. And if we're not careful, we can come to church and leave, and we don't exchange one heartfelt relationship moment with people because as long as you've sung the songs and as long as you're growing in theology... Uh, you're going you're gonna to grow and know God, and that's all we need. And that's the beginning, but that's not the end, because it's very clear you are who you hang with. When you leave here, none of you are going to go right into isolation. And if you, if you are, that's an entire other sermon about your need for relationships. But the idea that we are whoever we want to be, and we make ourselves however we set out to be, is not true. I've heard it said that in your early stages of development, you are who your family makes you. Your family is where you live, and the school you go to is directly correlated to where your family lives, and your friends are typically people who live around your family. But then the rest of your life is who your friends are. You walk with wise people, you will walk in wisdom. You walk with fools, and you will be destroyed. 
So the benefit of friendship is that you can actually surround yourself with wise people that are going the same direction, and you can have people that care about you enough through thick and thin to offer you truth and counsel and point you towards the path of wisdom. In other words, this entire study on instructions for life is not meant to be lived out alone. And so this is the part of the sermon where we think about practical application and of course there's all sorts of ways that I that I hope this church and all churches that are interested in what what the word is saying about this try to offer some sort of vessel for your friendship to grow in and so I can share some of them with you now of course we have what I think is a great friendship tool a way to gather with believers that will come from all walks of life to study the word, common interest, to go a certain direction towards the glory and the mission of God, and to counsel one another in love, and that is through what we do in our Calvary communities. So I, uh, as I thought about one of the applications, I thought, Kirk, who is in Europe right now, this would have been ready-made for him to preach and invite all of you to the upcoming August kickoff of Calvary communities. If you're not in a community, Think about it. If this message is stirring in you a desire for friendship, think about a community. If you are in one, share the beautiful joy of not only knowing the Bible together, but join in friendship together. Other practical ways, I just, uh, if you came to the beginning of the service, there's a game night coming up. Small. Go find a game to play with a fellow believer and break out of this mold of the individual culture and see what happens if you add one friend to your life. And then the most immediate thing, in your bulletins, I think it says 6, 6.30, but tomorrow at 6, if you're a, a man of our church, uh, we have a group of men who are always desiring to cultivate new friendship and grow in friendship with one another every other Monday. So tomorrow at 6 p.m. in our old thrift store, Building 500, there is a men's meetup where you can meet other men and have this foundation of God's word as a common direction. Meet someone you've never met. And you, you know what's weird? You'll meet someone, you'll be like, I had no idea that you were my neighbor, and we've been going to church for 10 years together. I had no idea that we worked together in the same, you know, the same complex, the same area. You meet someone through one introduction, and God can turn that into a beautiful friendship. So um, tomorrow at 6 p.m., right over there, and our friend of all, Tom Velasco, will be sharing. So, man, if you've never gone, this is a great chance to go. Um, and then, of course, I, I think what a church can do is one aspect of finding and cultivating friendship, but be an intentional person in your life to step out of your routine and be a friend. That's just a, 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 something that's stirring from the word this morning is, are God's people in this city known as friends? We can be known as so many things to the city that God has placed us in. We can be known as political people. We can be known as uh, passionate for the homeschool community. We can be known as people who love to get together and learn about the Bible. Uh, we can also be known as people who value and cherish friendship. So let all of those things um, point you towards friendship. And now we end with what ultimately the source of anything good and the source of whatever God is teaching us always points back to the heart that he has for us to know where anything good comes from. And that is this message of friendship that is found, as we sang this song, through our Savior. Last week, we, we shared a message on truth, and, and we quoted Jesus when he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me.
And it was interesting because after that I had conversations with people who just had questions. What about all of these other worldviews and religions and saviors and good teachers? Good questions. I think something to add to the invitation that Jesus has to know him as the way to live and the truth of all of created reality and the access to the Father in heaven is who he wants to be in your life. When we sing praises to Jesus, when we cry upon his name for salvation or we we use his name in our prayers, this is not a religious act. This is not simply something that we do because our particular version version of religion is Jesus. This is something that we do because on the very last moment that Jesus had with his disciples, he framed the entire gospel message in a relationship so intimate that he called it friendship. Look what he says in John chapter 15. He says, this is my commandment. This is everything that Jesus commands us to do. That you would love one another. You want to live for Jesus? You want to know Jesus? Know his commandment. Love one another. And how does he give a description of what his love looks like? He says, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. So we think about the message of salvation knowing that God so loved the world that he sent his son to die on the cross for the sin of sinners, which means the whole world, that whoever admits their sin, confesses their sin, could be cleansed and forgiven. And he puts that whole motivation into the category of a desire for his disciples to now know him as the ultimate friend, which is why we have to understand friendship. He is the ultimate beautiful relationship in your life. The one that is not biological, that is not required, but is compelled completely by a love and a choice for you. He is the ultimate reason to know the the foundation of friendship. When we think about all the benefits of friendship, we find them ultimately in Christ. And if you hear this message like me just thinking about these Proverbs, I read this and I think, I have a longing for friendship, and I have a conviction of my own friendship. Every single one of us, as we went through this, do I, do I always speak the truth in love? Do I offer heartfelt counsel? Am I always there in, in good times and bad? Am I the person that my friends can count on for whatever they possibly need, and I will be there? And the answer is not always. And the answer is you also hear this message both as a longing for a friend and as a conviction of your own friendship model which means this message is ultimately not about you and I. This message is about the perfect friend, the one who does love you while you were still a sinner, while you fail, while you mess up, while you mess around with sin and you wrestle with the need for forgiveness and you come to church imperfect in all of your ways, you have the friend who loves you at all times. You have a friend that sticks closer to, the, to you than your own brother or sister or mother or father. They can all forsake you, but there is a friend in Jesus that is the ultimate friend. And so when we think about this message, it's a twofold application. One, to refresh and renew our vision of who God is in our lives. We believe in a God who wants to be the ultimate friend 
to every single one of you. He came and he revealed himself as the friend of sinners. And he says, in my friendship, I lay down my life for you. Now, if you love me, be a friend. Be someone who would do that for one another. And that is the simplicity of all the commandments of Jesus. To love God and love one another is to know this so intimately in our lives. So we consider this as we're going to take communion, as we always do. This is a great call to remembrance. Because Jesus says, you want to know what friends really look like? Someone who would lay down his life. So start. The beginning of this message received is when you hold the body in the form of bread, and you hold the blood in the form of a cup in your hand today, and we, we, we meditate and we think of God's great love for us, we are holding the ultimate sacrifice of love that has ever been known. The perfect friend who laid down his life to call you a friend. And so we take it in remembrance, and then we take it to say, go and do likewise. May someone remember your impact on their life to the glory of God.